Business Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas bank here. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, the latest merger to run afoul of U.S. national security regulators and some stuff to know about Baltimore. But first, cracking down on Alexa. So for tens of millions of Americans, smart speakers have become an essential part of their home and work lives, uh, shaving precious seconds off mundane tasks like ordering food or playing a song. But they also are how tech companies have snuck deeper and deeper into our private lives, often picking up conversations we didn't intend them to, either because of user error, tech glitches, or because sometimes we're having a background conversation when someone in the foreground intentionally said Alexa or Siri. And those extra conversations are no small thing, particularly because companies like Amazon use real humans to transcribe those conversations and images from Echo and Ring devices. And some reporting has raised serious questions about the depth of those transcriptions and how they're stored. So, for example, imagine your kid is playing with an Echo device and you and your partner arguing in the background. Amazon employees have heard that argument. They've transcribed it. And if for some reason you said something about your social security number or your bank account, they've heard that too. Now, all of this leads us to Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, a 2020 presidential candidate on the Democratic side who is set to unveil what he calls the Alexa Act, which would limit how smart device manufacturers collect and use your data. The short version is that the Federal Trade Commission would be allowed to seek up to $40,000 in penalties from the offending company per infraction and also have the companies delete those recordings. Now, this matters because as of right now, the FTC is basically hamstrung in that it has zero ability to issue fines in this area. If Moulton's bill becomes law, either as a standalone or as part of a broader digital privacy package, that could change. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Congressman Moulton. But first, this. Ping pong tables, kombucha on tap, and open floor office plans are nice, but your startup will need more to succeed. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial partner with more than 35 years of experience helping founders move their bold ideas forward faster. Silicon Valley Bank, ideas, bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Massachusetts Congressman and 2020 presidential candidate Seth Moulton. There are a lot of different aspects to digital privacy. What caused you to specifically focus on these smart home devices? Well, frankly, we just decided that this is a good place to start because there's so much to do here. And Congress is woefully behind. I mean, Congress, as we saw during the Facebook hearing, doesn't even understand how Facebook works. Right. So we're just dipping into the water here. We're not doing what we should be doing to protect American consumers, to protect their privacy. And we feel that because there's a lot of news around these smart speakers and also the uh, ring doorbells, just taking consumer information, literally taking recordings of people's private lives and just opening them up to employees at these companies, we figure this is a good place to start, not only to address an urgent need, but to send a shot across the bow of these tech companies to say, we're going to get involved in regulation. And this is step one, but there are many more steps to come. Part of this seems to be that the consumers would be able to you know, basically file an FTC complaint, whether it be Amazon or Google or Apple. But how would it really work? Because how do I know if my Amazon device or my Google device has indeed picked up something it wasn't supposed to pick up? 
Well, honestly, what will likely happen is that the news, the reports will come out, not just from individual consumers, but broader reports about these devices and organizations, as has already started to occur. I mean, just in the last few months, we've seen reports of data from ring phones being sent to Ukraine. We had an article just in the Boston Globe about how Amazon employees in Boston were listening to private conversations through Alexa home speakers. When that data comes out, it gives consumers the opportunity to say, I'm one of the people who owns one of those devices, and I can file a complaint. Groups of consumers can file complaints. There's an enforcement mechanism here, which is that these companies will have to pay a $40,000 fine per violation per person. $40,000 might not sound like very much, but you add that up by the number of uh, Alexa speakers that are sold, and it's a massive fine or massive potential fine against these companies. Let's take a a real use case. And I talked about this in the open before you came on, which is a kid is playing around with an Alexa device, you know, saying, you know, Alexa, do this, Alexa, do that. And in the background, the kid's parents are having an argument or some or even or a conversation, which is kind of the indirect stuff that's getting picked up by the device. You're Amazon. You obviously get both of these voice streams in. There's no way it would seem for them to not receive it because in terms of reception, they're going to get it right. Well, what the bill text does is it focuses on the user agreement. And so it depends on whether or not those sorts of situations are in the user agreement. We did this because it's an easy way to enforce the fact that these companies are being supposedly transparent with their user agreements about what they're allowed and allowed not to do. I think the reality most consumers know is that the user agreements are either too dense to understand or they don't really anticipate all these different sorts of situations. And so that's where this is focused. So if that kind of situation is in a user agreement, then the company is clear. If not, then they'll be in trouble. But I can tell you, the important thing to know is that Amazon is concerned about this. If we wrote a piece of legislative text that didn't bother them, that they weren't worried about, then that would be concerning to me because I'd say, okay, this isn't going to cause a problem for them. It's not going to, it's not going to get enforced. But I can tell you, Amazon has already reached out and they're concerned. Would this bill be extended to smartphones as well, since almost all of those have similarly have you know, voice activated uh, voice assistants on them? It absolutely can be. And uh, this is part of the debate that will be, you know, once the way this works in Congress is you write a bill, you drop the bill, and then it gets taken up by a committee for debate and discussion before it's voted on by the House. So what happens in the course of that committee debate is people offer amendments, consider changing it in one way or another. Amazon obviously thinks that it's too strong and they want it to be fanged. We're not going to let that happen. But we will examine just how much we want to expand this to other devices. And what's important about this is not just this specific problem that this bill addresses, but the fact that it's going to start that conversation. Because there are so many other parts of tech regulation that we should consider. I mean, do you think it's okay that YouTube allows videos targeted at kids that are embedded with suicide instructions? I mean, that's literally happening today. There's no regulation around it. That's obviously not a problem that this particular bill addresses, but that's the kind of broader discussion that we need to have about tech regulation. One of the edge cases, as they call it here, is when the device picks up something where somebody's uh, life or health could be in danger. You know, it might be a kid calling for help, or, or sometimes it might even be reflected that there was a crime committed of some sort that, you know, that, that comes through the speaker. From your perspective, should Amazon or Google, et cetera, should they be legally required to report those situations and provide those recordings to law enforcement? From my personal perspective, if I have a smart device, whether it's a smartphone with a voice-activated system like Siri on an iPhone, or whether it's an Alexa home speaker, All I want to have happen is for that device to respond to my commands. I don't want it 
or Amazon employees or anybody else, Apple employees, listening to anything else that's going on in my home. I think that's the expectation that most consumers bring to these devices. Congressman, one final question. I I can't let you go without a quick 2020 question. You have talked a bunch about, even though you're not on the debate stage in Detroit this week, that you say your your internal polling, your polling has shown better, your fundraising has, has been better than some of the folks who will be on stage. So let me ask it to you this way. For the viability of your presidential campaign, do you feel you have to qualify for the next series of debates? No, I don't think so. But, you know, we look at this race as it goes on, as anyone would. And I don't think the summer debates are going to matter much for who picks the nominee when voters go to the polls in February of next year. That's a long time away, and there's a lot that can happen between now and then. But obviously, as we get closer, it'll be more of an issue not being on the debate stage. But what I hear from people on the ground is that in the middle of the longest war in American history, they want the only combat veteran in this race to actually have a voice on the debate stage. They want someone who can reach out to everybody in the Democratic Party, but also to independent voters and even some disaffected Republicans to build the coalition that we need to win. And fundamentally, they want a next generation leader who's tough enough to go toe to toe with Donald Trump on the debate stage. That's what I'm hearing from people on the ground, that they want my voice in this race and in this debate. And ultimately, it's those voters on the ground who are going to decide who the nominee is. And they want to pick the best nominee to take on Donald Trump. Congressman Seth Moulton, thank you so much for joining us this morning. All right. Thank you. My final two right after this. Have a great idea for a startup. Silicon Valley Bank wants to help you make it a reality. With more than 35 years of experience, they understand the challenges of the startup journey and have created banking and financial solutions to help founders every step of the way. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is an unfolding situation in Virginia related to a cybersecurity company now called CoFence, which was purchased in early 2018 by Wall Street giant BlackRock and a London-based private equity firm called Pamplona. Now, no one thought too much about the $400 million deal until this past weekend, when Reuters reported that U.S. officials have asked Pamplona to sell its stake in Cofax to BlackRock due to national security concerns. Two reasons this matters. First, it is highly unusual for this particular regulatory body, called CFIUS, to object to a deal that's already been completed, let alone one completed over a year ago. Second, so far we can only guess as to why CFIUS would oppose a British firm like Pamplona, although speculation is that it relates to one of Pamplona's investors, a Russian oligarch named Mikhail Friedman, who is said to have ties to Vladimir Putin. In short, this is one worth watching. And finally this morning, obviously there has been a lot of talk about Baltimore over the past couple days. Following President Trump's weekend Twitter attacks on Congressman Elijah Cummings and much more broadly, the residents of Charm City. So clearly there are a lot of people, most of whom are black, who live in the place Trump claims no human being would want to live. There also are a lot of people who work there. For example, Cummings' district is home to Johns Hopkins Medical Center with around 22,000 employees. It's also headquarters of federal government offices like the U.S. Social Security Administration and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, plus really big for-profit companies like investment firm T. Rowe Price. It is unclear as of this taping if Trump considers those workers to be human beings. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Lipstick Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.